Good evening. My name is Sheila Armstrong. I'm an alcoholic. And I've been sober since December 15, 1984. I know. I was, I was about 10. Um, I want to thank um, Zan for asking me what a privilege it is. Um, what a big conference you have. And purple. It's really a purple kind of conference. I keep looking at purple. And uh, just, I mean, it's just over the top. It's amazing. I mean, I, I've just enjoyed, I've enjoyed so much. And I got to see my old friend, the ocean, which I love the ocean. And, um, you know, our, the Al-Anon speaker last night, Bev, I just love you. And ah, I met Bev at my first women's conference when I was 90 days sober. Yeah, can you believe that? And she has watched me. <laughs> nuts, you know, she, but she always was, she has always been kind to me, and a year, it was after I had, it was like the next year you were at the conference and came up to me, and she said, you have changed, so, you are so much softer, and it, you know, that stuck with me, and you know, I think it's so, nice words stick with us, you know, and um, she was such an example of saying something nice, and um, you know, I love Al-Anon's, I think you should never leave home without one, <laughs> and... <laughs> I told her that last night. I go, you can enable me all you want, girls. I don't care. I mean, I'm kind of mad that no one did. I could have had 10 more years of drinking. And I, I told Bev that, and she goes, no, you'd have died. You know, and so I've said that several, to several Al-Anons. They say the same thing. It's a conspiracy. So, um, God, what a great, what a great conference. Um, and, you know, I love that it's a she thing, you know, it's like, um, because we're, we're, you know, we're, it's a, I like the, I just watch the women. I'm a great watcher of people. Um, I've got to watch Jackie. I've become fast friends with Jackie and her daughter's here. And, um, you know, her daughter's not in anything <laughs> like we are. And um, she just came to be with her mom, you know, and I just love that. Good. Can, I'm so glad you're here, honey. You know, and um, it's just warmed my heart to watch her be so proud of her mom. I love that. Oh, I'm, I used to be such a tough, bad girl. And, you know, look what you've done to me now. I just got up here, and I'm already tearing up. Thank you for your talk today. You did such a great job. You really touched my heart. You really did. I loved everything you said, and... Um, you know, it was just, it was, it, you just rocked it. I just loved it. And, um, you know, I'm sorry I'm not going to hear Jackie tomorrow. I'm going to be leaving at the crack of dawn so that I can get home before 1130 at night. You know, flying is so fun. And uh, anyway, and um, I just, um, I had a buddy. Where's my buddy? There she is. And uh, she was, my, she, every time she saw me, hi, buddy. And I go, hi, buddy. And, you know, and people would have just been so nice and just accommodating and, um, food, let's have more food. Boy, ugh. You know, we women know how to eat, don't we? I mean, come on, you know. Are you hungry? No, not for another week or two. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> so, oh, goodness. So, you know, um, I'll just get right on into that story. Um, I was born to two alcoholic parents, you know, um, they did normal things. They got divorced, you know, before I remember they were married. 
I have a brother who's 13 months younger than me, and um, you know, my dad moved away to California, and um, I don't really remember him. I was like two, and my brother was one. And um, my mom, she, she took care of us. I love my mom. My mom was a nurse, and uh, I just thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. She would come and pick me up at school, and I was just so proud of her. And she, back then, they wore white. They were all white, and the caps. And she was an RN, so she had a blue stripe. And then she would have a, in the wintertime, she'd have this um, cloak, this blue. She just, you know, she'd sweep in, and she always smelt like peppermint. And I know why now, but she, you know, oh. <laughs> but she, she was funny, and she was happy. And I, I mean, I just, I remember feeling a lot of love from that woman. Um, you know, unfortunately, my mother liked to drink a lot and be gone a lot. And we would go to my grandmother's out in Piedmont, Oklahoma, which is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And she, we'd have Sunday dinner, and she'd say, it's time for naps, and we'd take a nap, and she'd be gone for weeks and months at a time, and she'd live us, leave us with our grandmother. And one time she'd been gone for a really long time. In fact, they had a missing persons out for her. And so, you know, she, um, she, just, she just had to go. She was, you know, she just had to go. And um, this lady came and talked to my grandmother, and my grandmother seemed to cry, and uh, my grandmother never cried. And uh, the next day, the same lady came, and all our bags were packed, and we went to live in the first of many foster homes that my brother and I would be in. And, um, you know, um, we would come to visit my grandmother, and it was Easter Sunday, and, um, and we came to visit, and my mother showed up. And, you know, it was a really magical weekend. Um, she bought me a yellow dress and fixed my hair and got me an Easter basket. And my brother, he got a little suit and a, and a pail, you know. And, and we just had a really magical weekend. And she said things like, you know, I'm going to get my life together on Monday. I'm going to get my job back. You know, on Monday, I'm going to get my job back and I'm going to come and get you kids. And I knew she meant it, you know. And if you had given her a lie detector test, I'm sure she would have passed it. You know, and we were, it was so hard to say goodbye to her, but she promised us, I'm going to come and get you kids. You know, and I was seven, my brother was six. I didn't see my mother again until I was 19 years old. And that's alcoholism. She wasn't a bad woman. There wasn't anything bad about her. She was just very, very sick. Um, my, uh, my, my dad um, got wind that we were in this foster home. And he flew to California, and the foster the foster lady. This was a terrible foster home. I never ever talk about that because my dad, when my dad was alive, I didn't want my dad to know how terrible it was because he didn't need to know. He had enough guilt as it was. And, uh, but I, you know, dealt with it in inventories, I'll tell you that. And so, but this foster home was terrible. And my dad, um, the lady comes in and she goes, your dad's coming. To, he's going to court and trying to get custody of you. And I'm like, what's a dad? You know, I didn't even know what a dad was. And so, you know, in he walks one day, and he had a Thumbelina doll in one hand and a mitt in the other, and he goes, hi, I'm Dad. And I thought, we're just not going to get along. I can already feel it, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't that he did anything wrong at that moment. It's just that he wasn't my mom. You know, and I never really gave that man a chance. And, uh, you know, um, he did get custody, and men didn't get custody of their kids back then. They just didn't, but what I found out that is my mother just didn't show up, and I know that's the best she could do. The reason I know that that was the very best she could do is because I sat in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and I heard your stories, you know, and I knew, I knew where you had been and I heard you and I could love you, and then I could forgive her. So I thank you for telling the stories that you've told and the solution that you got to. She just never got there. Um, 
my dad, um, you know, we got on this plane and we went to Oklahoma. And my dad had married a nice Mexican lady, so like 30,000 people picked us up at the airport. <laughs> yeah. And they were hugging and kissing and pinching, and I go, oh, God, I'm going to like this family. And, you know, my brother was kind of on board with it, too. And we went to my Tio Mondo's house. You know, he was going to be my godfather, and he looked like the godfather. He was awesome. He had this big, you know, big old car, and he was fabulous. And, uh, you know, he would pick me up and take me to Mass, and I learned how to be Catholic. And, um, you know, and they were good, fun people. They would, you know, have big parties, fiestas, and they would drink, and, and they would cry, and they'd fight, and they'd make up. And I just thought this family was amazing. I loved them very, very much. And um, my stepmother was just, she was just a sweet, a good, kind lady. Unfortunately, my father's alcoholism had got the best of that marriage. You know, and I got up one day and I said, you know, where's mom? And he said, she's taking care of your Tio Mondo. He's not feeling well. And I wouldn't see her again till I was 18 years old. You know, and I'm starting to wonder what's wrong with me. And I would say things to my brother like, we've got to be really good, you know. It seemed, felt like there was something I was doing. And back then, people didn't, you know, it wasn't like people discussed these things, you know. It wasn't like, how are you feeling today, Sheila? No one ever really said that to me, you know. And I probably couldn't tell them how I was feeling anyway, because I wasn't even sure most of the time. And so... Um, we went to my Aunt Mary and Uncle Jackson. We live with them. They live in Arizona. We, we went there, um, you know, left L.A., went there. And then one day, um, my Aunt Mary and Uncle Jack, they had watched us, and they said, you know, and they, they couldn't really take care of us. They had two kids of their own, and they had bills and this and that. My dad was going to, he was getting ready to go to prison because he had, he had done a bunch of bad stuff and gotten in trouble with it. And so... Um, one day they just said, pack your bags, you're going back to California. We went to California, and something magical happened when I was 10 years old. Um, my father got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it would change my life forever. And so, we, you know, we went to um, see him. He was in a 12-step house. I'll never forget this. It was on um, Beacon Street, and uh, it's still the, I think that house is still there. And it wasn't like a nice home or something, a sober living. It wasn't anything like that. It was like they had knocked walls out and they had cots for these men to get sober. And they were DTing and detoxing, and it was a terrible place. And my dad was living there. And we were to go. We were wards of the state. And so he got to see us and then off to another foster home. And we went to this foster home, and it was a black foster home. We were supposed to stay there two weeks, I guess, till we the white foster home opened up. And what happened is that we ended up living there three and a half years with one of the most incredible women that I've ever known. And she and her husband just welcomed my brother and I with open arms. We were her very first foster children. We were her blue-eyed babies. I, I have a lot of pride in that. And, uh, and she loved us, and she loved us very, very much. And, um, you know, more kids came to the home. There was a little uh, Mexican girl named Hilda, and I just loved her. She was going to be my big sister. And then there was a little... Um, Sue Indian boy, and then there was her son, and then there was my brother and I. And I always get a visual when I talk about this. It, it's just amazing. Um, we'd be sitting at like the breakfast table, you know, and it looked like a meeting of the Junior United Nations, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we were all different colors. We didn't even know we were different colors till we got outside and people started telling me, you know, that I was a honky. And I came home and I said, what's a honky? And she said, that's ignorance. And, you know, we'd have that talk. And I'd go, what's a cracker? And she'd have that talk, you know. And she said, Sheila, I can't follow you around all the time. You're going to have to learn to take care of yourself. She said, take your shoe off and just beat somebody. And I did. <laughs> I mean, really, she did. Uh, 
And she said, you can take care of yourself. And she taught me that a long time ago. And I've been taking care of myself pretty good since I got to Alcoholics Anonymous anyway. And so, you know, um, there was, it was a neat home. I mean, we would go, like, she would take us shopping. And, I mean, she had a lot of kids. It was like stair-stepped, you know. And uh, she, we'd all, you know how kids are always, can we have mom? Can we have this? You know, and people were looking at her like, she is, I mean, we look, it's a rainbow following her, you know. And, and they're like, that woman's been really busy. You know, we were all different colors, and we, we just thought, and to this day, she never calls me one of her foster children. I'm her baby. I'm her blue-eyed baby, and I'm her daughter. You know, and she still watches kids. She just retired from being a foster mom about two years ago, and she adopted one of the little boys. He was a crack baby, and he's, you know, he's 13 years old. She said, I just asked the Lord to let me live five more years so I can get him through school. You know, and that, she's an amazing woman. And, um... And so we lived there, and my dad got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. He met a lady, and she had two kids. He had two kids. We got together. It was not the Brady Bunch, I can tell you that. And they were two great people, two, you know, struggling to stay sober. And they wanted to put something together, you know, and, um, and it didn't work out. So I went down the street to live with this woman's uh, sister, my Aunt Jo. And so I went to go live with her. My brother and I, we went down there. She had four children, and she was a single mom, and then she took my brother and I in, and her mother lived with her, you know. And I used to feel so very sorry for myself, you know, and um, uh, before I got sober. And the thing is what, it, I mean, she had all these kids, and five of us were teenagers. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. You know, and, um, you know, it's like I had, it seemed as though I was watched over most of the time. I really was. And so... Um, now, I haven't had my first drunk yet, but I sure could use one. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> and um, I'd had sips of beer and stuff like that up to this point. And uh, this guy, he said, you know, you don't have a date, and I don't have a date. You want to go to the prom? And I thought, oh, how romantic, sure. And so we did. You know, so he asked me to go to the prom. My aunt was all excited because she was kind of worried if I'd even get asked. And her daughters got asked, and, and she said, let's go get you a dress. And she wanted to make it really special, you know, and... and um, so we go, and I, you know, I pick out this kind of low-cut yellow dress, a little snug. I thought it looked really good. And she goes, yeah, it's okay, but how about this one? And I can still see her to this day pulling out this horrible dress. And, um, and it had like an accordion neck and a ruffle right here. Yeah. You know, and it cinched at the waist, and it billowed out. And it had big puffy sleeves, and it had these giant green flowers all over it. Yeah, but I'm kind of in a little trouble with, you know, living there because they're always saying, why don't you be a part of, you know, like her daughters would stay home and string popcorn for the tree at Christmas. That just sounded like hell to me. And, um, you know, they'd say, do this, Sheila, be a part of. I heard that all my life, you know, and I wanted to be, but it just, it, I just didn't have, I didn't know how to take an action so the feelings would follow. You know, I just had feelings and that's all I, I went on. And so she said, um, and then I, you know, was, she said, I, like a boy in a van gave me a ride home, and she said, you know, nice girls don't get rides home with boys in vans. And I said, oh, okay. So I had them drop me off around the block. I don't want to upset anybody. You know, I don't really change. I just change locations, you know. And so, so her daughters, you know, they just didn't do that kind of stuff. They just, you know, her daughters were like, they, they loved being around their mom, and I just never felt a part of. And so... Anyway, so we go to this prom, and I've got this dress on, and my aunt that early that day said, I've made an appointment at my hairdresser, and I said, okay. And so she said, I, I want you to, you know, I want you to go to my hairdresser, and I did, and, and my hair was really, really long. I wore it down to my waist and, and you know, maybe curled at the ends on a special occasion, you know, 
And so the, the lady said, how do you want it? And I said, well, like this part up and then just down. And so she put me under the dryer with these curlers for like, I don't know, two weeks it felt like, and it was horrible. And so then she, she kept putting my hair up and up and up, and, and it kind of went like a football. It just kept going, you know? <laughs> and I was, I was, you know, I don't say anything. I'm mortified, but I don't say anything. My aunt comes running in, and she's got baby's breath, and she's like, oh, you're so beautiful. And she's there sticking this baby's breath, insult to injury, you know, let's add some more. And they're putting this stuff on my hair. This was not the, this was not a do. I mean, it was like 10 years prior, but not with the, I was, it was awful. And so, <clears throat> so I said, I said, let's go, because <laughs> I'm, I got to get out of here, you know, and uh, so, you know, we, we, you know, me and my hair, get in the car, you know, <laughs> really, I'm serious, and, you know, we get to, get, we get home, and I put the, the giant green flower dress on, you know, and I, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I'm a bush in bloom, you know? <laughs> and I hate myself. I just hate myself. This isn't my vision for me, I can tell you that right now. And so her daughters, they look so beautiful. They had these beautiful dresses and their hair was down, you know? And they, and they look at me like, oh, you know how you don't want to say anything bad. Oh, you look good, <laughs> you know? See, you went to mom's hairdresser. <laughs> We've never even met her, you know? So my date, oh, my date, you know, the guy that said, hey, you want to go, that guy, he, um, like three days before the prom, he bit the head off a live frog in front of everybody during lunch. Yeah, for a bet. He won $100, you know. He goes, well, I needed prom money, and I'm like, well, I could have loaned it to you, you know. So people run up to me, they go, Sheila, the guy you're going to the prom with just bit the head off a live frog. And I thought, can anything ever go right just once, you know. And I was mortified, you know, so I've got this all going on, you know, and, and, you know, my foster mother, she's, you know, she came, she wanted to come and see me go to the prom and, and, um, you know, I'm just not, it's just not right. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to look like my cousins. They look so beautiful. And, you know, my dad came from down the street. My dad lived down the street. You know, I'd come home from cheerleading practice and, and he'd wave and I'd wave and the girls in the car go, who's that? And I go, that's my dad. And they go, your dad? And I go, yeah. And they go, your dad lives down the street from you? And I go, yeah, doesn't yours? You know, because <laughs> it was like the abnormal, as the big book talks about, the abnormal becomes normal. I mean, it was normal for me not to live with my parents. And my dad and I got along so much better when he lived down the street. So, so anyway, so, you know, I don't want my dad to know this guy's bit the head of a live frog, you know, and I want him to think like, he's a really, like he's a Rhodes Scholar or something, you know. So um, my little cousin Kelly, he was the baby, and he comes running in. He had heard the stories. He's looking at him like he's, you know, Johnny Unitas or something. He's like, are you the guy that bit the head off a live frog? He goes, well, yes, I am. You know, my dad goes, what? And I'm like, we better leave for your safety, <laughs> you know. And Bev knew my dad, and he had a big voice, and a, he was a big man, and he sh when he shook a man's hand, it, it broke, you know, usually. I mean, especially if it was you were dating me. And um, so anyway, so we whisk off to the prom, you know, and he's got champagne in the car, and, um, you know, those little glasses, those little plastic glasses in the bottom, and then it, they never stay on. I still have a resentment. He could have had glass, but oh, no, you know. And so, you know, and I want to look like those beautiful women in the movies and with the pearls and they're leaning against, you know, drinking champagne against a piano. That never happened ever. 
And so, you know, and what happened was I, the bottom of that thing kept flying off and I'm looking for it and I'm hitting my head on the visor, you know, my hair, you know, and I'm hunting down there, my dress is all billowed up. It was just a mess, you know, and I'm embarrassed and he's got a rambler. He didn't pick me up in the Cadillac or anything. He goes, I just got this car, it's an antique. And I thought, that's not an antique. You know, it is now, it wasn't then, it was just old, you know. But he was so proud of this car, and here we go, putting up in the Rambler, you know, and I, oh, it was just, anyway. So, you know, um, I, the, par, the, you know the prom was uneventful, had a couple of glasses of champagne before, it was no big deal, but I love the after parties, and I love the after parties. I like the after the meeting, before the meeting, I'm that kind of gal. And so what happened was, you know, um, I finally got that glass, did that bottom to stick on that glass, you know, and I walked around, and I remember thinking, you know, because I've been around you, my dad's been an AA, I babysat your kids, you know, I know about alcoholism, I know that I haven't seen my mother in many years and she's been in and out of hospitals. And it's like the book talks about, accept spiritual help or go on to the bitter end. Now, I, I, I'm weighing this out before I take, have my first drunk. I knew what a blackout was before I had it, you know, and when I had a blackout, I could justify that that wasn't quite a blackout because dad always was like ended up in another state. You know, and I didn't do that, so it was probably just a brownout. Anyway, <laughs> but my mind could justify it already. And so, you know, um, so I had this little glass, and people came up to me, and, and, um, and they said, you know, do you want here, do you want a drink? And they were making me all kinds of drinks, tequila sunrises and, and salty dogs. And, you know, and I thought, this isn't going to hurt me, this little, little glass. This is nothing. I had 150 of those puppies, and let me tell you what happened. My hair got long and straight. Those flowers flew off my dress, and frog lips started looking really good, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love what Clancy talks about the disease of perception, because nothing had really changed except me. My perception of that whole situation had changed. And earlier that day, I thought about my mom, you know, and I wish she could see me go to the prom, you know? And I thought about her, and I stuffed that feeling down like I did a million times. You know, a million Christmases, a million birthdays. You know, I remember sitting, I was eight years old, and I was sitting in class, and I looked up, and it said May 19th, and I thought, oh, today's my birthday, and no one knew, you know? And that's the kind of stuff that you stuff, and you stuff, and you stuff. And, you know, that night, after I started to have the effects of alcohol, which I loved, it made the big hurt go away, and it made me feel better. And I didn't feel, I felt like I fit in with you, and I felt happy and nothing hurt, and I was okay with whatever was going on. And I would chase that for the rest of my drinking. I love the way alcohol made me feel. And the book talks about it. You know, alcoholics drink essentially for the effect produced by alcohol. That's me. That's who I am. I drink for the effect. Some people go, oh, I don't like the taste. Well, rough through it, honey. It'll get better, you know. <laughs> I, I liked everything about it. I liked the tinkling of the glass. I love bars. Bars. I'm a bar fly. Oh, I loved them. I worked in them eventually. So what happened is that night at the prom is that I passed, I blacked out, I passed out, I threw up. You know, if you're gonna do it, do it. And uh, you know, I snuck in, he helped me get in. He was really kind to me, he really was. And uh, my aunt said, what is this stuff on your shoes? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> Something, I think it was dew on the grass. You know, it was a throw up is what it was. I had thrown up and I was very, very sick from it. And I guess they would call it alcohol poisoning today. We just called it, you had a bad night, you know. 
and uh, you're lucky to live through it. And so, you know, I didn't wake up the next morning and crave a morning drink, but I started to, I remembered how it felt, and I thought, I'm going to do that again. I think I'm going to do that again. And I just drank whenever I could, just partied. It was no big deal, you know. And so um, I got out of high school. Everyone was happy I graduated. And I started waitressing. I loved waitressing. It was my favorite thing ever. I just, I worked really hard, and I liked it. And it was quick money, and um, I worked nights, you know, because then you can sleep during the day and get up and do it all over again. This one particular time, this gal asked me if she, we could switch um, schedules. She needed to go to the doctor during the day, and she worked early. Now, I knew she worked early. I knew I had to get there at 5.30 in the morning to open the place. You know, but I still didn't, I didn't stop drinking. You know, I drank till 2 or 3 in the morning. So when I came in, I was still, you know, half drunk and really hung over. And this gal goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, I'm really hung over. She goes, here, take one of these. You'll be zipping around in no time. I took one of those. I zipped around for two days. Oh, my God. It was called a prelude, and it was the best drug I ever had. I'll tell you what. They stopped making it. It was so good. <laughs> I made so much money, I worked everybody's shift. I'll work. I'll work. They're like, are you going to stop? What are you doing, you know? I worked from 5.30 in the morning till 2.30 that, that morning, you know, and my boss goes, are you all right? And I said, I'm great and I'm rich right now. I just made a lot of money, you know. You know, and so, and that's what happened is that, um, you know, I, drugs are a part of my story and I like the kind of drugs that enable my drinking. You know, I like to go fast and I found every drug you could that went fast. And so, um, you know, I, then I started cocktail waitressing, that's fun, you know, and so I live near the beach in LA, I lived near the beach. You know, I would stay out all night, take my drive down to the beach, and just lay on the beach until it was time for me to get up and go back home, shower, go back to work, get drunk. You know, it was every. It was the same thing, and so I'm not getting in a whole lot of trouble, but I'm ending up in some strange spots. You know, you know that where you just appear places. I'm blackout drunk. It just feels like you appear, and. Um, <laughs> I mean, we went to a bar one night, and I thought it was we were having fun. And then I come, I appear, and I'm dancing at a country western bar, and I'm like, "Good Lord, he was really cute too." But anyway, <laughs> enough of that. But I would like appear at these places, and those are that was some of the fun stuff. You know, one night, you know, and my friends start saying things like, "Did you eat? Did you not eat?" Because I always had an excuse: what was wrong with me? You know. And so um, we went, these girls, and they were kind of classy, you know, and they wanted to go, you know, listen to a band, and it had twinkling lights at this place, and I remember two glasses of wine, and I had two glasses of wine. Now, I probably had more, but I went into a blackout. And so then I, all of a sudden, I come to, and I'm laying on the hood of a car, and I thought, I wonder, I guess I got tired. I don't know what I'm doing here, you know? <laughs> and then I go back into a blackout, and I come to, and there's this hedge in front, big tall hedge with a chain link fence in the middle of it. And I turn around and it's an apartment complex and I'm not going far, you know? And I, I thought, I can't find the way out. I looked down, it, there was no way out. And I thought, how did I get here? Well, in the chain link fence, they have a part that starts and stops, you know? And I found that little spot and I just squeezed and I'm cussing and screaming and crying and cutting myself and trying to get through this fence. Now there's a couple walking their dog nice, innocent couple, and they stop, and they're just staring at me, you know? And of course, I get through the fence, and I go, what are you looking at? And they go, nothing, nothing, come on, Fido, you know, let's get out of here, she's a nut. 
you know, and the reason they were staring at me is because, you know, 10 feet down, there's a gate. <laughs> but I couldn't see the gate, you know, and that's my life story. 10 feet down, Sheila, there's a gate, you know, but no, no, let me get myself battered and bruised, you know. You know, and that was one of the fun nights. And then what happened was, you know, <laughs> seriously, you know. And so, you know, um, uh, one of the things that happened is that at this time in my life, you know, I had, um, I found my mom, you know, and she was living in Dallas in an indigent apartment complex, you know, with some people. And I went to see her and that beautiful woman, you know, she, she looked like she was about 80 years old and alcohol had taken its toll. She had lost an eye. Um, from drinking and you know she limped because she had a pin in her knee and had gotten infected from her immune system was so compromised that she would get sick very very sick and she looked so very old and she wasn't that beautiful woman that I remember and w when I started doing the math one day I was in I was sober in AA and I realized she was only 48 years old and it had really beaten her up and you know we had these we had the a, a, sort of nice time, but she was living in the past. She didn't really want to know what I was doing today. She didn't really want to know what Jimmy, my brother, was doing. She just did. She just was living. All the pictures she had out of us were just of when we were tiny babies, because she couldn't really deal with the reality of what was going on. And so you know, I left there, and if if I, if I crossed a line, that would have been it. I just went into reckless abandon, and then for, fast forward to these crazy things that I'm doing and stuff. And then I meet, you know, my stepmother is named Vinoy. She's a great member of Al-Anon. I love her so much. And, um, you know, um, she says she had majors and minors. Well, here's a major. You know, this, I met this, you know, I don't know how y'all meet your guy, but, you know, I was at a bar one night and there he was across the room. And I thought, well, I got, I just got to go ask him to dance. So I go, went and I was drunk as heck. And I went over and asked him to dance. And he said no, and I thought, well, got to have him, just got to have him. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Anyway, so, or me. <coughs> so anyway, so I got a little drunker, and so did he, and I went up, and then he came over and asked me to dance, and I thought, gotcha. So we got, and he said, we were dancing, and he said, why don't we go outside? You're pretty drunk, and you need some air. So he sat me down on what he thought, I thought was his cart, never is. And so, <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, you know, and I just, I was, and I did this a lot. I would just like fall, you know, and I just, I just fell off the car and he ran over, picked me up and we spent the next two weeks together and that's how I dated. <laughs> and so, you know, it's love, you know, and so anyway, so we did this little dance of death for a while and I got pregnant and he didn't want to be and, um, you know, so I made a decision to, to go through with having this baby and, and, uh, you know, in my eighth month, he left, you know, and I remember looking down at my stomach one day and I thought, what is wrong with me? What is so unlovable about me? And I just, I just hated myself. And, but I really love this baby, but I couldn't stay sober for this baby. It's a terrible part of my story and I just hate it, but I tell it because my sponsor makes me. My sponsor today is Peg Martin. And she said, I want you to tell that story because there's women that probably think they can't be here because of stuff like that. You know, I drank and I used drugs all through my pregnancy. I wasn't like, oh, I didn't know if I was pregnant. I knew, and I kept drinking anyway. And I, and it, at nine years sober, it was really bothering me. You know, and uh, I love this little boy. And um, I said to her, Peg, it's just really bothering me. And she said, Sheila, in our book it says that there comes a time in the alcoholic's life where they lose the ch choice to, of drink. 
They, they are powerless and you have no choice. She said, you cross that line. I'm sorry you were pregnant, but this happened to you. It didn't matter what was going on. You would not have been able to quit on your own. And she said, I'm so sorry you were pregnant. And now, you know, now you share this story and you help other women get through this. And that's what's going to heal you. And she was right. You know, she was right. And so um, I had this little baby. He left in my eighth month. I had this little baby. And I loved him more than life. I loved him the minute I saw him, and I thought, this is it. This is what I need. I need something to love and someone that's going to love me. And I'm going to be the best mom ever. I'm going to bake cookies. Never mind, he has no teeth yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to be good. And I really, and I really loved him, and I, um, I just wanted to be the best mom ever. And that lasted for, like, two weeks, right when the pain medication wore off. <laughs> you know, I ran out of pain medication. I got to go drink. So I'm running and gunning, I'm doing the same thing, except it's worse because I've added some, you know, I've added drugs to the, to the picture, and it got really, really dark, and now I'm taking him along with me. And um, I was living in, um, I met a Marine. <laughs> yeah, baby, oh, I tell you what, those Marines. Anyway, I love a man in uniform, but... You know, I thought, you know, I'll, you know, I'll get a really good, nice guy, you know, like a Marine. They take care of the whole country. Surely he can handle me. Well, I want to tell you that I was even too much for the Marines, okay? So that's all I'm saying. He, he asked me and my son to leave because he said, I can't handle you. And I thought, wow, you're not much of a Marine. Anyway, so, <laughs> so anyway, so, um, so I had, you know, I, uh, I uh, went and uh, I was working, and then um, I had nowhere to go, and this really nice gal said, you can sleep on my floor. My son and I were late. That's what I was doing when I got, I got to, before I got to Oklahoma. My son and I we were sleeping on the floor at a lady's house, a nice lady let us live there. And, you know, she was watching Brad at night because I'd work during the day. I did nails. I'd work during the day. And then at night, I'd cocktail waitress. And it was just really to pay for my drinking and drugs. I gave her a little money, and that was about it, and tried to take care of him and feed him and, and diaper him, you know, and um, she, uh, I used to come in about five, six in the morning, lay down for an hour and pretend when the house got up, I would pretend, you know, that um, I had been there most of the night. And she caught me coming in one night and she said, you've been on a three-day run. She said, um, I need some phone numbers. I don't even know if something happens to you. I'd like a phone number so I could call them because you have this baby here. She said, something bad's about to happen to you. She said, one of your eyes is dilated right now and the other one's not. She said, you have sores all over your legs. And, I, <clears throat> and she said, and I know something really bad is going on with you. You need, I know that your mother's dead. And my mother had died at this time. My mother died when I was 23 years old. And she died in an injured hospital of alcoholism. I saw her, I got to see her a few days. I flew in there and uh, spent three days with her, you know, and... Uh, and my mother asked me to forgive her, and I did. And that was because I'd hung around you guys. You know, I wasn't really going to AA or anything, but I'd been around you all my life, and I knew that was something I probably should do. And she asked me to forgive her, and I said yes. And I'm so grateful I did. She didn't live the rest of the week. And I had flown home to L.A., and she died when I was gone on Good Friday. You know, and she said to me, I know your mother's dead, but your dad. I know your dad's alive. Why don't you call your dad? And I mustered up the courage. I don't know how I did it, but I called my dad. And he had met this black belt Al-Anon, and they had been married. Yeah, my life's over now. <laughs> so, and she answered the phone. And, uh, I, and what I said to her, it was just, you know, this just, I, it just came out. I said, 
I said, um, I just called because I'm going to tell you I'm going to put Brad in a foster home and I'm going to walk the streets because I can't do this anymore. And she didn't ask a lot of questions. She didn't say, what is this? What are you talking about? She just said, your dad's doing a fist step. As soon as he's done doing the fist step in the back room, I'll have him come out. He'll come out and I'll, we'll call you right away, I promise. Don't do anything. And, and she said, this can all be okay. And I said, all right. And it was like the most honest thing I'd said in years. And so my dad, you know, true to his word, he finished his, you know, when he finished the fifth step and they came out of the back room, she said, she lives in trouble and you need to call her. And he, and he did. And I wasn't there. I went out and got drunk. That was the most honest thing I'd said in years. And I thought, well, that was way too much for anybody, you know. And so, you know, I, I, so I just did that. So I, long story short, my dad and I, we got in touch with each other. And he sent me a non-cashable, non-refundable, non-anythingable ticket to Oklahoma. Yeah, I checked. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we arrive in Oklahoma, and my, he had my stepmother pick me up, and, and another black belt, Al-Anon, it took two. I just want to, I always want to say that. And, um, and I was drunk. Of course I was. I got drunk on the plane. You know, and you would think if, you know, I know I'm going to AA land, you know, you'd think I would like not drink on the plane if I was like, you know, and I, I was, I couldn't, I had to, you know, and I uh, had my little boy and I arrived there with a beat up suitcase and a box of twine around it and that's all I had, you know, and they were so kind to me and they picked me up and they, you know, they made light conversation, but I was really drunk and they didn't say you're drunk. They didn't say anything like that. They just loved me right where I was. And it wasn't very lovable, I'll tell you that. So, you know, I started this life there, and I, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to AA or anything. I just went to Al-Anon. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like that so much. But, you know, I'd go to, I, I knew I had to go to something, so I went to Al-Anon because I knew they could still drink. Not that they do. What's wrong with you people? Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> So this one lady was crying because her alcoholic went back out, and she was crying, and everybody was huddled around her. It was all so beautiful. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, her alcoholic, he's, he drank, and she, and she doesn't know where he is. I said, oh, tell her I have a drink and a quaalude. He'll be home. You know, and they were like, I don't think she belongs in this room. But anyway, but they let me stay. <laughs> and I didn't, I just splurted it out. I wasn't like, you know, thinking or anything. And so... Um, what I did was I got in a fight with my dad because that's how I leave. I got to get in a fight with you. It's got to be your fault. And then I leave. You know, I took my son with me. I found the same, you know, because I thought I'll, things will be different in Oklahoma. I'll go there, you know, I'll, it's slow pace. It's not this crazy life on the beach that I'm living in LA and, and, and down in Oceanside. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, this will be good for me. I'll meet some old boy and we'll raise chickens. You know, that's what I thought. That's not quite what happened, but, um, and so, you know, I met the same kind of people. I found these roommates. I moved in with them. They, it was a three-bedroom, you know, and I got drunk one night. It was December the 14th, and, and it was cold and, and rainy out, and I got drunk. I put my son to bed. They said, you know, the, they were going to stay there, and we were all drinking, and I went into a blackout, and I guess I left, and I went wherever I went to a party or something, and next morning I came to, and I had mud all over me, and I just... You know, I had my clothes on still, and I came to, and he wasn't in bed next to me. My little son wasn't there, and I shot up, and I went and looked for him, and I peeked in my roommate's room, and I couldn't find him. I thought, my God, he's gone outside and froze to death. And it was December 15th, and it was 22 degrees. 
And uh, I started crying, and I went outside, and I looked for him. I was calling his name, and I came back in, and I kept, you know, and my roommate said, you know, she said to me, where were you? You know those questions they ask you that you can't really answer. And I said, I can't find Brad. She goes, he's right here. And I don't ever want to forget this. It was my moment of clarity. Um, he was coming down the hall, and he had those little yellow jammies with the feet in them. And he put his little hands up, and he said, Ma. And he was 20 months old. And I hugged him, and I said, <clears throat> I said, uh, Mama's going to get some help. Now, while I was hanging around going to some of these open AA meetings and Alan on this gal, Mary, she, um, she came up to me and she said, I know you're new here. I know you're new in town. And she didn't ask me if I was an alcoholic or anything. She said, here's my number. And back then, we didn't put things in phones or anything. You just got a little piece of paper. And she gave me a little tiny piece of paper with her name and her phone number on it. She said, why don't you call me and we'll go have a cup of coffee. I just want to be your friend. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks so much. Now, I had no intention of calling her ever, and I put it in my purse. That morning, for some reason, I remembered her, her and I remembered her putting that number. And um, I went to my purse. Now, I lose everything, you know, and it was just this little piece of paper. And as God would have it, he had it, it was down at the bottom of my purse. And I called her, but she wasn't home, but her husband was. And her and Greg had this beautiful home. And I went in, and he, and he answered the phone. I said, is Mary there? And I didn't sound good. And he said, no, she's not. He said... I said, it's Sheila. He said, yeah, I kind of know. And he said, uh, are you drunk right now? And I said, no, I'm hungover. He goes, well, get your over here. He said, I know a little bit more about you than I should. I know your dad really well. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over to his house, and he sat me down at the kitchen table, and he 12-stepped and he me. And he, he, had a, he had a big book and a cup of coffee. And he, and he 12-stepped me. And he said three things to me that, that for some reason went to my soul. He said, Sheila, you don't ever have to drink again if you don't want to. And you don't ever have to feel like this again if you don't want to. And everything's going to be all right. And from that day to this, I haven't had a drink. I haven't ever felt that bad again, and everything's been all right. Now, it hasn't been perfect, I'll tell you what, it really hasn't. And some of it is outside, you know, life happening, and some of it I did to myself. So, you know, there we are. You know, but he, he and Mary were, um, you know, they were at the meeting that night. And he said to me, you need to be at that meeting tonight that we go to. Well, I got this great idea, because I love what Bob Darrell says. He says, you know, alcoholics, you know, we lose our keys, we lose our homes, our, we lose our cars, we lose our kids, we lose everything. And the first thing we get back is our opinion, you know, and it's so true. <laughs> and, you know, <clears throat> and I thought, well, I'm going to find my own AA to go to. That's dad's AA. You know, I went through this little mind game for a minute. And um, he said, you should be at that meeting tonight. And I said, oh, okay, you know, and, you know, about 7 o'clock, I don't, I, that night, I have talked, I started to talk myself out of going to Alcoholics Anonymous, because I need a drink, because I need a drink really bad. And I'm starting to talk myself out to it. My roommate said, I thought you were going to that AA meeting. And I said, you know, I don't have anybody to watch Brad. And in unison, they said, we'll watch him. 
So when your drinking buddy said they'll watch your child so you can get to an AA meeting, you just might want to take a look at your drinking. I'm just saying. <laughs> and so I didn't have any excuses, and I got in the car, and I went to that meeting, and I sat in the back in my tightest jeans I could, you know? And I sat in the back, and you know when, when they're going, well, the first people in their first 30 days, please raise your hand. And you know you think, you kind of feel like, are they looking at me? They are. And, and uh, they were, and Greg and Mary were both looking at me. And he looked at me, and he, he pointed at me, and he made me put my hand up like that. So I kind of itched my head with all the humility that I didn't have, you know, and I kind of went like that. Well, my dad happened to turn around. He was in that meeting, and my dad happened to turn around, and he saw it. And uh, he got called on for participation. The meeting was 30 minutes participation and a main speaker. And he got called on, and, you know, he said, you know, I saw my daughter come in tonight, and I see her. I saw her raise her hand, and he goes... He said, of all the Christmas presents in the world, that one is the best. He said, I hope you stay here and get the healing that you really deserve, as this is a place that you can. And in my heart started to melt a smidge, not much, but a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to get all crazy about it, you know. And, uh, you know, so uh, what I did was I got a sponsor and I started going to meetings and stuff, and um, I tried really hard. And um, my sponsor was leaving AA. I didn't know it at the time, and she fired me. She said, you have way too much going on, and you're in too much trouble for me to sponsor. You take too much time. Yep. And uh, so I was driving home, and I was thinking, wow, that didn't go well. And uh, I made a ride on a red, red light, and it said, no ride on red, because I'm not thinking and I'm not caring. And a policeman pulled me over, and he said, and this was right before Heart to Heart that year, and he said, um, I handed my license, happy, joyous, and free, because I'm sober, you know, so I handed my license, and he says, could you step out of the car? Well, I know what that means. I've, I've heard that song about 10 times, you know, could you step out of the car? And I, so I said, um, he said, uh, you're driving under suspension, and you have some tickets, um, some tickets and some checks you, seems that you forgot to pay in California, and I didn't even think Oklahoma had computers or anything, you know? <laughs> What do I know? You know, alcoholics, I'm over here now. Nothing happened. <laughs> you know, we forget about this. I'm over here now. I'm, I'm sober. You know, everybody shape up. Computers, erase yourself. You know, it's crazy. Oh, my God. So anyway, so I said, you know, um, I, uh, so I, I get to, to jail. I get to jail, and, uh, and I think, well, I got to call my, my dad and my mom. I got to call them, you know, because they've got my son, one. And so, I, Vinoy, thank God, she answered the phone again, and she said, I go, hi, and she goes, where are you? And I said, I'm in jail. She goes, ha, ha, ha. And I go, I'm, I'm really in jail. I need some bail money. And she goes, Jim. And, you, you know, I didn't even need the phone. I heard my dad cussing and cussing and screaming. And she goes, Sheila's in jail. He goes, leave her there. And I'm like, no, no, I'm telling him I'm sober. I'm sober. I'm sober. And she said, she's sober. He goes, I don't give a good... You know, he was just really mad, and he, he was, well, you knew him, and he was really, he was not happy. And so I kept saying, I kept saying, Dad, I'm sober. Tell him I'm sober. Tell him I'm sober. And she kept saying, she's sober, and Jim, what about the baby? And I don't care. Leave her there. And so all I'm doing is, I'm sober, I'm sober, and the jail lady walks by and goes, who cares? You know, and I go, <laughs> Because she's sick of me, you know, and I'm like, it's very important to be sober when you're calling for bail money in my house, you know. So, you know, Vinoy came, and she and Dad always said, make sure you tell him I gave, him, gave you bail money, which I paid back, by the way. 
And so I did, and I, you know, he gave me bail money, and she picked me up, and she takes me, she takes me to the AA group, because there's a meeting going on. There's a meeting about to happen. She takes me straight there. Now, that's the last thing. I think that's probably the reason I got arrested, is it was bad karma or something. I need to get out of here. And so, you know, for some reason, this lady who I was never going to ask to be my sponsor, you know, the one that's going to make you do stuff, I'm not getting her. Well, I was so desperate that night, I asked her to be my sponsor, and she got me into the program of action in Alcoholics Anonymous. I asked her to be my sponsor, and I said, I'm in big trouble. She picked me up Monday, and I went to my arraignment. And she said, and on the way back, she pulls into, you know, like a 7-Eleven. And I said, what are we doing here? She said, you're getting a newspaper. You need a second job. She said, you have a lot of, you have a lot of fines to pay. If you don't pay them, you're going to jail. And I said, and I just looked at her, and I felt so hopeless. Because it looked too big. That mountain was too big to climb that day. And I said, uh, you don't understand. I know AA works. I've watched it work. And I know it's, re- it's great for you good people. But for some reason, I just don't think it's going to work for me. And she said, Sheila, will you believe I believe that this can work for you? And I thought about it. And she said, will you believe I believe this can work? You don't have to believe, but will you believe I believe? And I said, I do believe you believe. And she said, will you do everything I ask you to do for the next 90 days? And she said, if your life isn't better, I'll drive you to the airport. And I thought, well, I'm going to need a ride, so... And for the next 90 days, I did everything that lady asked me to do. And it was really hard and because my, my car was impounded and my dad got it out, but I couldn't drive. I had a suspended license, so I got a second job. And I'd get up in the morning, I'd take my son to daycare. I'd get a ride to his daycare and then a ride to my first job. And then I'd get a ride to pick him up to go to the next babysitter, and then I'd go to the next job, and then I'd go to my meeting that night. And I did that one day at a time for two months, and it was really, really hard. Sometimes we walked to meetings. You know, so I know how hard it is. I know that it's hard getting to a meeting. I know sometimes you just, you can't even stand it. One morning I woke up and I had to call her every morning at 6.45 a.m. I did not need to be up at 6.45, but apparently she did. So I was her wake-up call. And so I went in there and I, and I would call, I was, and I'd call her. And this one morning I was so overwhelmed and full of fear and I didn't know I could do one more day of this, go to the first thing and go to the next thing, go to this daycare. And do, I could, it was just, I couldn't do it. And I was so, I didn't know what it was. She said, go get your big book. And I thought, God, my life's falling apart. She wants me to get that book again. You know, it just drove me crazy. I wanted a magic potion, you know. And so I went and got the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. She said, turn to page 86. And she said, she started reading to me on awakening. Let's look at the 24 hours I had. And that's all we had to do that day. And she read the whole thing to me, and it calmed my spirit. She goes, I just want you to do this until noon. All you have to do it is until noon. And then you call me at noon. We'll see where we're at. And I said, okay. And I could work till noon. And then at noon, I called her, and she said, let's do it. We can just do it till the meeting tonight. And I know you can finish it up. I know you can do this. You already have it all set up. Just finish. you got to finish it. And I said, okay. And she taught me how to walk through something I didn't want to walk through. She taught me how to go the extra mile when I didn't really want to, you know, when I wanted to give up. But she was there, and she would cheer me on. And so one day at a time, you know, I got my license. One day at a time, I got my license back. I came to the meeting. I was so excited because people gave me rides, and they were kind to me. But my sponsor would do things like, well, you have, to, you have to give back. Either if you don't have gas money, then you clean their closets or you wash their car. And I did those things, you know, and it was very humbling. And it was hard. Let me tell you what. Let me be about some dirty cars. I couldn't even believe it. <laughs> but I did those things. 
because she asked me to and I wanted to get better and I didn't want to drink and I really wanted this way of life, but I just didn't think I could have it. And so um, when I got my license, I couldn't wait. I went to, we called them little victories. I'd have victories and I'd go to, go to my meeting and I'd ask people, anybody want to ride? And uh, they weren't sure they wanted to drive with me, but they, but they did, you know, and, um, and I loved you for it. I met a hymn, like a really nice hymn, And um, I didn't date. I'm sorry, I didn't date. She said, don't date. You're too sick for anyone in and out of this program, as I said earlier today. You know, and uh, eventually I met this nice man. He was a good guy. And we dated and we got engaged, you know, and got married. And then I got pregnant. It was amazing how I did that. It was like my dad, it was like a spiritual experience, you know. I remember when I got pregnant, I got pregnant right away after we were um, after we were married, and I said, yeah, I'm pregnant. He goes, Sheila, it's fine, we're married. I go, oh my God, I can call dad, you know? I was so excited. <laughs> because my dad didn't find out I was pregnant with Brad until I was five and a half months along, and someone sent him a letter. And that's the kind of relationship I had with my father, and that's the kind of daughter I was. I was a terrible daughter, and I broke his heart many, many times. And so what I said to my husband at the time, I said, David, I said, um, you know, when we found out, I said, you know, um, my dad was the last person to know that I was pregnant with Brad, and I was five and a half months along before he found out and someone sent him a letter. I said, can he be the very first to know? Now, I made direct amends to my father with the eighth and ninth step because that's the kind of sponsor I had. She didn't say just go ahead and make living amends. But I did, and I, we sat down, and, we, and I did those things. And this was a living amends. And I said, you know, he was, the, he was the very last person. I just want him to be the first person to know. And so we called him, and um, we were, he was in California. He moved to California. They had gone there. And I said, um, Dad, I guess what? And he said, what? And I said, you're going to be a grandpa again. I'm pregnant. And he said, well, that's the most wonderful thing ever. And I said, and you're the very first to know. And we had such a healing and such a coming together because of you. You know, um, I was like, I just loved him. You know, um, he married this black belt Al-Anon and she loved me. You know, she started to be my mom. I was at a woman's conference and um, it was in Texas. And uh, Sue Drum was uh, this Al-Anon and she was doing a workshop on forgiveness. And I went to the workshop, not because I needed anything on forgiveness, because I'd already thought I'd dealt with everything. Um, it's because I really liked her. My motives were not good. I just thought she was awesome, and I wanted to hear her. And I was sitting in there, and she started talking about her, her mother and, and the forgiveness. And something started hurting inside my stomach, and I thought, wow, I've done a fourth and a fifth step, and I've done this work, you know. And I, I was just, it was just bad. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and my stepmom, her side of that story is that... Um, she said something said to her, look at Sheila. And she turned around and she said, all I could see was the horrible pain on your face. So the, after the Lord's Prayer, it was one of those, you know, I got to get out of here. I can't even breathe. And so I got out. There were two doors and I went out this door. And I, uh, yeah, I went out this door and, and I guess this person went out that door and, and I was trying to walk and I was trying to just get outside because I couldn't breathe and she was behind me and I didn't know it and she would walk faster and I'd walk faster and I thought, and so I moved over so they could pass or whatever and she grabbed me and she rocked me. And it was my stepmom and she said, Sheila, your mother loved you and she would be proud of you because I love you and I'm proud of you. And I cried and cried and cried. And it was gone. The hurt was gone. And she fixed it.
last night when you said, Sheila's mom, that felt so good. Thank you. You know, I've never had healing, really, except with you. I mean, it was always I was doing something goofy, like going to a meeting or picking up a newcomer or doing something. Most of all of my healing has been in working these steps and commitments in Alcoholics Anonymous and going the extra mile. Because that's what happens here. It wasn't me planning it and working on it and doing this. It was just doing what I was supposed to do here. And they come out of nowhere. And I really believe that. That if I go, if, if I have work and self-sacrifice for others, that God's going to heal my heart. So what happened for me was this. My dad, um, I'll tell you one story and then we'll be out of here. This is my favorite story. I can't even believe it happened for me, but it did. And I have witnesses, so that's good. Before this story, I'll tell you this. What happened with my husband is that um, our marriage fell apart because of alcoholism, active alcoholism. My oldest son's alcoholism, it st he started to, it started to rear its head. My son uh, ended up living on the streets in, in Las Vegas. He became a terrible alcoholic, and he was just like me. He just went a little bit further by, he wanted to be homeless. And he was doing tons of drugs and drinking and living on the streets, and half the time I didn't know where he was. And this went on for years. And it broke his grandmother's heart and it broke my heart, and I couldn't deal with it. I mean, I was out of my head with this. I was in such a dark place. And I heard, and I went to a conference, and Sandy Beach was talking, and, and I was just really angry at God because I secretly thought, if I just do really well and I stay sober and I help others, God will take care of my kids. And I was really mad when my son started getting really sick with alcoholism. And I was mad at God. I said my prayers every night on my knees, but I didn't talk to him at all during the day. We just weren't speaking. And so I cut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit, which is the worst thing anybody can do, especially when you're going through something really horrible. And what happened for me was this. I was sitting there, and it was at a conference in Sandy Beach. He had lost two daughters, and his heart was broken. And he said that... Um, he said that he kept saying, thank you, God, I love you, God, I love you, God. And he kept doing that because he didn't want to be mad at God and cut himself off from the sunlight of the Spirit. And he said, God will comfort me in my sadness and sorrow, but with anger and resentment, I'm on my own. And then it was like he talked right straight to me. God will comfort me in my sadness and sorrow, but with anger and resentment, I'm on my own. And I was on my own, and I'm not good on my own. I'm just lucky I didn't drink. That's all there is to it. And so my husband and I, we got divorced. The marriage didn't work through. We just didn't. He didn't, he didn't get alcoholism. He didn't understand it. He was not a member of Al-Anon or this program. And he did the very best he could. And we got divorced, and, I was, and Brad was out on the streets. My son, my youngest, my son, Daniel, um, when I was pregnant with Daniel, I found out I had twins, and one was a boy and one was a girl. And in my seventh month, a little girl died. And I was so hurt and sad. But Alcoholics Anonymous just shows up at the house, you know. They're just there. They just surround you. They let circle the wagons, you know. And I've got to be a wagon, and this time it was my turn to be inside the circle. And you all love me up, and, and uh, you, just, you just do that. That's what you do. 
I had a little Daniel, and Daniel, he's doing, you know, he, he's a little early and, you know, and that, but he's, do, he's, a, he's doing good, you know, he, was, he had a good life, a good childhood, he did great, you know, and um, with Brad, um, I didn't think he'd ever get sober, he was in and out of this program for almost 13 years, and I moved to Arizona. I got divorced, and it was like four or five years later. And my stepsister Tracy, my my, you know, she's been my sister for 35 years now, and I love her very much. And what we went through in the last couple of years is that she has custody of her grandson, and her, her daughter started doing meth. And I got the call while my sister was out of town that this little boy was in custody because they were doing meth, and the they saw him wandering around the parking lot and. Little Forest, and uh, I got a call. And when I got off work, I went and picked him up and called my sister. And she flew back from Nebraska, and you know she's had him ever since. And my niece had another baby, and the baby was taken away in the hospital because the baby had drugs in its system. And here we go again, you know. And it's the most painful thing to watch people you love do these things, you know. And one of the things my sister said to me, you know, and she said. This is the most awful thing in the world. And I said, I know. She goes, I know how you were feeling with Brad. You know, my Brad, um, he caught a charge and he went to jail for nine months. And I moved out here. He, I moved here and he caught a charge and went to jail for nine months. And a man named Tom Pace picked him up and um, went and finally got him when Brad, he was having psychotic episodes and they didn't know if he was going to come back from him in jail. And he called him and he, said, he asked Brad, he said, what? What's the name of the president and what year is it? And he could answer both of those things. And he said, I'm, I'm looking at 10 years in prison. And he said, I'll come to court when your court date is. And he did. And he talked the judge into letting him have him. He said, Judge, give, give him to me. And if he doesn't do everything I ask him to do in the next 90 days, he said, I'll bring him back with a bow. And my son, <laughs> my son did everything that man asked him. He rode a broken, he rode a broken bike to work. He went to two meetings a day. He did everything. He said, I was so, and I remember hearing, he goes, I'm so afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm so afraid I'm not going to get this. I'm so afraid I'm going to drink again. You know, and uh, my son today has four and a half years sober. <laughs> he met a, you know, he met a gal in AA, and, and she's an alcoholic and a heroin addict, and I just love her, and she's got tattoos, and we're good. She loves my son. She, uh, their love is so beautiful. It makes me almost want one, but well, not that much. But anyway, but it's beautiful. They're best friends. They do everything together. They go places, you know. And uh, my son had a daughter from a previous marriage, and and Chloe, and um, she's 15 years old, and I love her so much, and she's my girl, and I raised her, you know, for two and a half years. She lived with me, and. Um, you know, she's my girl, and, and, and Shanna takes good care of her and loves her like a daughter. And, you know, and then they, um, they got married, and then they got, they got pregnant and found out that they were having a boy. And we have a little pace, and he's the sweetest thing. He calls me nanny, and I think, you see, he thinks I'm wonderful. I think he's wonderful, you know. And I get to watch him live this life, and he helps a lot of guys. He helps tons of guys, and that's how he stayed sober. You know, and then my Danny, I just love him so much. And, uh, you know, he's got two DUIs, a public drunk and a drug possession. But he's fine. I'm good, Mom. No problems here. Oh, and I got my card so I can smoke dope. And I go, great. So proud. <laughs> but I'm not an alcoholic. It was just a fluke. And I said, okay, if you need anything, you know. And I'm going to love that boy right where he is. I know how to love Danny just where he is. And I, if you think about him, pray for him. He's He's... It's coming to an end of something.
And so anyway, so anyway, so we got this story. I'm going to tell it, and then I'm done. My dad, um, I went to the International in 1995 in San Diego, and I've, my stepmom said, you know, and they lived in L.A., and she said, when are you coming in? And I said, Thursday. She goes, well, um, I, I wish you'd come in Wednesday because it's your dad's, Clancy's going to give your dad his AA birthday cake. It's his 29 years. And I said, okay. I said, well, I was kind of back and forth with it. I own my own business and da-da-da-da, you know. And, and so then I said, well, I was, she goes, well, you know, just come Thursday then if you can only do that. That's good. She said, um, she said, uh, you know, the next year's this big 30 and we'll do a big deal then. And I said, okay. And then just something didn't set right and I just thought, you know, go the extra mile. So I called her and I said, I'll come in on Wednesday and I did. And so my da- I got to see my dad, um, you know, Clancy give him his cake and it was really a special night and it was fun and everybody and my dad, um, everybody, you know, when you're with people, you're all getting in different cars and no one knows who's going where and it's crazy, you know, it was real fun and and we had all these people that had flown in, and my dad goes, sis, he goes, uh, he had just redone his El Camino, it looked really hot, and uh, it was blue, it looked really good, and he goes, look, and he's so proud of it, and he goes, ride with me, and there was only two, you know, only two people could fit in that, so we didn't, and we're riding and, and talking, and all of a sudden he grabs my chin, and he goes, I wish I'd gotten your braces, and I go, what? Yeah. And he goes, I'm really sorry for never getting your braces. He, you, you always had that sweet face and those crooked old teeth, well, thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> he said, so I said to him, I said, well, okay. Um, I said, really, it is kind of on the list. I'm thinking about doing that. And he said, well, let me know and I'll help you. And I said, okay. And so, um, you know, my, uh, we went to the International, had the most wonderful time. My dad and I danced in the aisles. I mean, it was just like magical. It was wonderful. And um, my dad was... Uh, that previous, the, the next year in February, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and died in three months. He died a month shy of his 30th birthday. And as God would have it, I got to be at his 29, because you all teach me to do those things. Go a little early and stay a little late, you know? And so, um, so two years after my dad passed away, I got my braces on. I know, and I, I was so excited. and. and so excited, I was talking to myself. I was out in the parking lot, and I look up to heaven, and I go, I got my racers on. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, you know, my sponsor, Peg, says, I found the enemy, and I have it captured, you know, because this is my enemy. And I, I think this cool thing, and then I go, I wonder if my dad can see that I got my braces on. And then I think, I wonder if my dad's in heaven. I wonder if there is heaven. I mean, it's, I'm just going bad. It's going south and it's not good. And this is just a nanosecond of my mind. So I, it's not fun. And so I get in the car and this gal, Brandy, she had really gone through a tough time. We just got in car phone. So I called her because I've been taught, you know, reach out to someone else and see how they're doing. Quit thinking about yourself. So I called her and I said, how are you? And she was good for 15 minutes, you know, and I'm out of me into you and God can work. Two days later, we go to this thing called First Step, and these women are, if they don't get it there, they're going to prison. I knew it was a big deal, and it was our first time going there. It was out in the woods. There's a men's facility and women's facility, but it's so wooded, they can't even, they don't even know, supposedly, not even know where each other are. And we got lost, and we couldn't find the way, and we're very late. I hate to be late. And so... Um, what happened was um, one of the girls said, well, why don't we just, you know, we'll, we'll go next week. We'll just tell them, call them. I'm sorry. We, we kept ending up at the men's facility. So I said, 
Shirley, <laughs> I know she gave us the wrong, mm -hmm. anyway, she gave us the wrong address or whatever. And, even, and so I said, no, let's go back to the men's facility. I'm sure they know where the women's facility is, you know, and they got us over there. Well, we're, we only have 20 minutes left, and it was an hour. And I said, can, can we do the hour? Can we do, we were going to do it on the first step. And she said, no, uh, you have 20 minutes. So we did a four-people panel. And when it got to me, I said, um, it was, the women were in a semicircle. It was about 70 women in the room. And I said, you know, I got my braces on this week, and, um, you know, I know I'm responsible for my life today, you know, that if something didn't happen for me then, I'm responsible to do it. If I could, and I need to, I have to clean house, um, trust God, and help others. And I said, and these things happen. And all of a sudden, this woman is, I, I don't know if she'd been there all night, but she was there all of a sudden. And I, and I started to talk to her. And I said, where did you get that T-shirt? And she said, out of the donation closet. And I said, could you stand up? And she stood up, and she turned around. And the girls are looking at me like, what's wrong with her? I don't visit with people about their clothes in the middle of an AA meeting, of course, in a panel. And I said, where did you get that? And she goes, out of the donation closet. I said, honey, you have my dad's plumbing shirt on. She said, what? And I said, my dad was a plumber. And that's his plumbing, one of his plumbing t-shirts. Not only was it, has it not been in business for two years, um, when it was, it was in Los Angeles, California, not Norman, Oklahoma. And so, one of the girls, I couldn't even talk, and the girls kind of took over and finished the meeting. And one of them came up and goes, Sheila, um, she said, I think, I, I, I think God's letting you know your dad saw your braces. I know. <laughs> and I doubt my God, and I feel so badly when I do. You know, um, I doubt my God. And he, he wanted, you know, that God loves us so much, he wants us the little special things. And if I can just find the evidence of God, you know, if I can find that, I'm going to be all right. And I believe there's a window in heaven. And there's people that we love so very much, and they've gone there. And we miss them. But and I think every once in a while, when we're doing something in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, if we're setting up the chairs or bringing a newcomer, you know, or handing out prizes or whatever we're doing, you know, we're running around a conference trying to help everybody, no matter what we're doing, I believe God says, I believe he calls them to the window. And I believe he goes, look down there. She's okay. She's at a she thing. <laughs> She's okay. She just picked up a newcomer. Because that's how good God is. And that happened for me, and it can happen for you. And I believe this. I believe that if you hadn't taught me how to go the extra mile, I'd have missed it all. Thank you. <laughs>